0: Hear that sound, Mr. Ballard. It's the sound of podcast inevitability. Welcome, one and all, to Be Real. It's your movie reviewing and reappraising podcast. My name is Chance Solom pfeiffer And I'm Noah Ballard. And I am the one. (laughs) I don't know what that says about me. The prophecy
1: (laughs) is spoken of me, and here I am. That's a very un-one-like
0: attitude, having seen these movies. We're here on this podcast where we talk about movies old and new, always grouped in threes, always around a theme or genre or idea, to discuss the Matrix trilogy, which dropped on Netflix at the beginning of this month. We've got a guest, we've got one iconic movie to talk about, and two to uh, perform an autopsy on. Right.
1: And scroll all the way to the end if you want to hear us review The Animatrix. (laughs)
0: Keep scrolling Because you won't hear it from me Um, But buddy Real quick What's been going on In your world
2: Thanks Thanks for doing this
0: Keep it real Think slow We should get through it
1: just fine Little writer Donnie Donnie Little writer Um, Well, yeah, we missed a week because I was on vacation. Uh, That's true. Down the shore, Long Beach Island, New Jersey, uh, hanging out, got to visit the the LBI bookstore, the bookworm, drink a little coffee, stare into the middle distance.
0: (laughs) Sounds like a good late August fan vacation.
1: I did did some reading for pleasure. You do? Are you still physically able to do that? Well, I I was reading... um, I read one book uh, about uh, Conversations with Friends, which is just about some sad Irish poets, Mm -hmm. you know? And then they meet some sad Irish actors, and then they fuck each other, and then they (laughs) feel bad about it. (laughs) Excellent. And then I read The Nest. Have you read this? No. It's about more sad sort of urban people trying to get their hands on some money. Literature. The Nest is exquisite, though. Cool. It's very well written. Super entertaining.
0: Nice. Well, for my part, my sister GSP is in town, so we've done some day drinking. We've talked about Tombstone, uh, <laughs> which we've done on this podcast before, but we are happy to do without microphones. Um, we're going to go sit by the Columbia River and do some more drinking tonight, which ought to be fun. Uh, and the only thing I have to report, only thing I have to plug, is that uh, I wrote about uh, Lucky Logan for and Good Time for Pace Magazine. So if you wanna, oh nice! If you wanna read that, you can. If you wanna read somebody basically do the old compare contrast for a few thousand words, you can.
1: Okay, let's run.
0: Well, buddy, do you want to talk about the Matrix with me?
1: I would love nothing more.
0: Let's start in 1999 with the, uh, with the original, shall we?
1: Yes. And where, so how, where were you in 1999?
0: I was nine, but I would put this uh, in Omaha, Nebraska. But I would put The Matrix in right in the same category as Black Hawk Down. We talked about a few weeks ago. It was a rated R movie. As people were like going into adolescence, it was kind of like, have you seen The Matrix? Because you're going to want to have seen The Matrix if we're going to talk. It was one of those movies. A true benchmark movie, you,
1: yeah, I was two years, I'm told you what am I two years older than you, yeah, so yeah, I was like in middle school or something, yeah, or late elementary school, um yeah, it was the kind of movie that like my parents didn't see, but they like they heard it was very violent, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes, and like I so I must have seen it, I can't remember where I saw it, I feel like the movie brings up um. Memories of My Cousins, so maybe we like watched it late at night after our parents had gone to bed kind of thing Sure It's like a very violent, very sort of like, you need to be pretty tired going into these movies Because you don't want to hold them up to too much of a light
0: Well, yeah, it's got some pop philosophy that you can take very deep, but in and of itself is very uh, yeah
1: impressionable and formable It's like if Chuck Klosterman was an action movie it would be yeah. the Matrix. Yeah. What if? What if everything we think is wrong? Yeah. <laughs> Did you like my Chuck um, Lorre impression? I thought it was
0: pretty good. That wasn't bad. That was good. Maybe um, like an
1: octave higher, though.
0: Maybe with just a little bit more nose and Bo Jackson. Maybe bring up Metallica. Oh
1: my God, you're amazing!
0: <laughs> Thanks, man. Um,
1: <laughs> Did you go into this movie thinking like this is a good movie? Definitely. You like went in thinking that okay. I went in similarly, being like, maybe this movie is kind of like silly, but it's ultimately a good movie and a well-respected sort of critical movie. And what a reason to have a podcast such as ours to hold (laughs) a movie such as this up to a uh, the sober light of day. Now, what? Almost twenty years later,
0: we should say the Matrix. By the way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is about a dystopian world where uh, machines, a, artificial intelligence has taken over and basically has is harvesting the energy of humanity to power themselves, but has created a virtual world, the matrix, that resembles our world just to keep us uh, happy and generating thermal energy. And a, the protagonist Neo, uh, played by Keanu Reeves, uh, slowly figures this out when Morpheus and Trinity, played by Lauren Fishburne and Carrie Ann Moss, are kind of like, hey guy, you know that weird feeling you have? It's because you live in a simulation. And he goes along with them and they fight the machines and there's
1: regulating machines. You know what the Matrix is about, Right. I mean, if you don't, you're going to get nothing out of this podcast.
0: That's <laughs> yeah, true. Um, so I but would the- pause
1: it right now and go either watch or rewatch. It's on Netflix, The Matrix. There you um, go. Just the first but one's he- fine.
0: Here's what I wanted to ask you because it seems like you're implying this. What does not hold up for you?
1: Because I remembered the sequels, which I saw in the theaters because I was old enough for them at that point, mm-hmm. um, was so like. Epically large that re-watching the original Matrix is sort of interesting because it's not a very large movie. No. Yeah, it's a sort of a smart little late 90s what-if movie. And the, yeah. the what-if is like, what if what if this like Gen X malaise you feel is actually <laughs> because we're in like a robot world? <laughs> we're in a computer program, and it's like. It's 100 years or 200 years from when we think it actually is. And the robots are stealing our juice.
0: Have you ever had a dream, Neo, that you were so sure was real? What if they were unable to wake
1: from that dream? How would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world?
0: It's the question that drives us, Neo.
1: What is the Matrix? It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes To blind you from the truth
0: You are a slave born into a prison
1: I feel like in 2017 And I can't There's context There's things that have happened in the past 18 years Both in cinema and in the world But in the last 18 months But that's sort of like It's a sort of stupid Flimsy premise And It can't survive being drawn out for the better part Of like seven hours mm-hmm. Of actual Like let's think about This what if we are In this robot but what if we're really In the robot world <laughs> What if we want to fight back with the robots Who have us held captive Yeah and It's like it's not it doesn't have The structure of a Terminator
0: Well you're Bringing or up alien an
1: alien or Sure whatever
0: well, you bring up an interesting thing is that the the first movie does not benefit from being watched alongside the others. In fact, the fact that they are so kind of eerily similar makes you just wonder if they got away with something in the first movie. Because the directors didn't change, the writing didn't change, the look didn't change, the cast didn't change. And all of a sudden, for like the latter five hours of this trilogy, it's much, much worse. And you're kind of like, so much. what is it that made the first one
1: good? And it is that it exists without the other two yep. <laughs> is really the only thing. And it was also made for like a reasonable amount of money. I mean, you can tell that the second two have so much more capital in yeah. play. Like some of those like CGI fight sequences are like borderline, like, like boring. They go on for so long.
0: Absolutely. I mean, when you think about what makes the bullet time, the, uh, you know, the iconic visual effect of the first one. So great. It's the fact that it's constantly intercut in that famous, like, we need guns scene with uh, real-time, like, motion. And that, like, gives it a certain wonderful kinetic energy and the feeling that, like, wow, these people really are uh, so much more powerful than your average, uh, you know, stormtrooper in the Matrix. And as they go... It completely loses that footing, that real world, the rules. The rules are what make the first one so great for me, and they're instantly kind of thrown out the window in the other ones.
1: Right. Well, the trick of the first movie is the fundamental question of, like, what if you and me, Chance, are living in a robot world? Yeah. And our podcast just exists, like, in a computer program. Sure. You know? And that's, like, an interesting sort of question, and... By the time, I mean, you, they don't even get to, like, the real world until halfway through the movie. hmm A lot of this movie is, like, set up, like, who is Neo? And who, he's talking to this guy this, on the internet named Morpheus. Right. And, you know, they all have their, like, their internet handles. And then they, like, meet. And then it's also, like, the setup is very, it's sort of a dark version of office space. He's, like, not very good at his job. And everything sucks. And everything's, like, colorless. Yeah he's presented with the the biblical level choice of the blue pill or the uh, the red pill right about whether he wants to just forget this all happened and go back to you know being who he was or he wants to get unhooked and like thrown into the gutter world
0: right it's the small things i mean i feel like we're talking about in some ways, what makes the first movie of any franchise seem probably more favorable to its audience is like you have the moment of Neo's reflection in Morpheus's glasses, right before he chooses the red pill. Just like tiny things that you think to do when your budget is 40 million and not, you know, 140. Right. Where it's just like, this is how we'll show the constructed world, not a tsunami of energy.
1: <laughs> it's more interested in politics, I think, than it is in premise.
2: Because it's mm-hmm. more
1: interested in that, like, 90s, like, yeah, like, life in your cubicle sucks, man. Sure. And you're the one.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, and at the same time, like, the political read is so, can just be applied so many different ways. Like, it's it's mind-blowing that people will probably look at this uh, movie, given the Wachowskis, uh, Gender transition people will read it that way um, But it's also like if you if you Read about this this is like a seminal Text of like men's rights activists Like you can you, any, Anytime you think a system Political governmental uh, Religious For better or worse. <laughs> Constructed yes is affecting you You can look to a movie like the matrix If you feel alienated and be like I'm the one who gets it And I feel like that holds true Almost 20 years later
1: Oh, definitely. Almost ironically so. It's an infinitely readable movie. Right. But on the other side of that, like, very, you know, interesting coin is also like what I find so interesting about this movie is the Wachowskis never made another good film. Nope. Though they haven't <laughs> even made, like, something in the ballpark of good. No. Like, they didn't, like, we're talking Cloud Atlas, which was, like, immediately dismissed as, like, garbage. Um, yeah. Jupiter Ascending, same thing. Yeah. Speed Racer. Yep. You know, and I guess they've been doing Sense8, which people like, but nobody really watches.
0: Mm hmm. What went right here? That, like, what lightning in a bottle was this?
1: That's. Still... It certainly wasn't casting. Well. well it I... was, and it wasn't. <laughs> it Everything was. And it was Everything about the first movie ruins the chance of making a second and third. And one of those things is the casting and the characters that have, like, been drawn. Mm -hmm. Because, again, this movie is so cool that you can forgive Keanu Reeves for, like, only having about two. He only really has one note in this movie. It's, like, subdued and, like, stayed.
0: Well, yes. uh, This is my point to make here is that a la john wick he is good in movies in which he is literally a monochromatic actor where Mm -hmm. he dresses all in black and where the movie is sort of prenaturally serious right that's that's when he's good yeah and if you
1: if the set moves behind him he's like fine (laughs) to have as sort of a focal point (laughs) sure Um, especially if you dress him yeah as simply as possibly Um, but even like carrie ann moss doesn't do much in this because everyone is so subdued. Like that was like clearly a directorial choice of like nobody gets upset about anything. Right. You know, which is also an interesting I think political read on it where it's like these people are so oversensitized and they've seen everything at this point that they like don't give a fuck. Right. But like that's not a very interesting th- performance to watch. Well, I think the
0: character most affected by the point you're making though is Morpheus. Because, like, that is really cool casting. Even looking back, you're kind of like, Lawrence Fishburne is... this And just his posture, the way he carries himself, some of the best moments of all three of these movies are just, like, when Lawrence Fishburne is, like, running, but, like, doesn't want to use any joints except his right-angle joints. Right. Um, just his, like,
1: his wrists and his ankles are doing the, all the
0: work. But as you go into the later movies, it's just, like, there. what is there for this man who, like, doesn't feel much? No like there's not there's not much, which is why the person who's most interesting and grows the most with, even as the movies get ridiculous, is Smith.:
1: Right. Who's the computer program? Right, Which I but think is a- interesting.
0: It's amazing because that performance is great because he is like a robot who's slowly learning what it means to be Shakespearean.
1: Right. He's sort of like David from uh, Alien Covenant.: Exactly.
0: Well, I think now's a good time, before we actually rate The Matrix, why don't we uh, hear from from our expert guest? Do you believe in fate, Neil? No. Why not? Because I don't like the idea that I'm not in control of my life. I know exactly what you mean. Well, our guest today, three years ago, he wrote for IGN when The Matrix turned 15 about how... Uh, particularly that first movie in the franchise, uh, really hasn't let go of pop culture with its uh, with its themes and its revolutionary visual look. Um, and now three years later, Sean Finnegan is still a producer for IGN, and I would trust that you think The Matrix is still as influential as it was uh, three years ago, but welcome to the show, man.
2: Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: So yeah, do you think anything's changed in three years? You stand by everything you wrote
2: in 2014? Well, I mean, a lot has changed in terms of the movie. For us, not. yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the landscape, our, our politics, like even just our perception of the way technology affects our lives, all that's changed drastically. Right. But I think the point I wanted to make in the article that I wrote uh, is that the more stuff changes, it seems like it makes those themes more and more relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what probably makes The Matrix one of my favorite movies is like... I'm, you know, I'm a movie buff. I'm a filmmaker. I love big action blockbusters just from a craftsman's perspective, but it really dives deep into the philosophical side uh, of what technology, like how technology affects our lives and uh, in many ways how we've become like a technology dependent culture. And I think that's something that, you know, as kids grow up these days and they're very involved with their phones and with the Internet and they don't remember a day. Without those things impacting them I think the themes of the movie become More perceptible and more relevant
0: Yeah, like if somebody In 1999 it probably Seemed fairly futuristic That like humans would be so Indebted to machines that this would kind of happen And that seems less Far-fetched with every passing day Is that fair?
2: Yeah, I mean it's a different type of Like, you know, the, the, the main themes of like Oppression and slavery and control And uh dependence on technology take a very specific form in the matrix and i don't think anyone could have predicted how those things would translate to our current world because i when i was in you know i was i guess i would have been 14 or 15 in, in 1999 like uh i could have never guessed that instead of machine instead of us creating sentient machines and then um becoming like enemies of them and having to try and put them down that we would willingly instead give our information <laughs> and uh, like with glee kind of like put sure. all of our stuff out there on the internet yeah. under the guise of sharing like I couldn't have uh, guessed that but we are probably like I, I don't think it's a I don't think it's too much of a logical leap to say that, yeah, we are more dependent on technology today than ever before. I think uh, it shows in our personal relationships, it shows in how we do our business, and it shows in, like, the globalization of culture. Like, I don't think that could have been possible without the Internet. And in many ways, that's kind of what the Matrix delves into philosophically. Yeah. I wanted to ask
0: you about the—well, one of the things that you wrote about in in that piece was just how sort of universal and— Uh, applicable across a lot like a, a large array of ideologies knowledge is power basically is as just like a theme um when you think about like why we still are able to reference the matrix and see thing like see our current world like through this movie if we want to is it because this sort of this theme is so malleable like any, any, if you think about a system controlling you, you could pick any system and be like, well, maybe I'm the one who sort of sees through that system.
2: I mean, it probably works on two levels. And then that's another reason I think the Matrix is so captivating. It's like on the one level, it itself is a very highly polished action blockbuster that has great action sequences and very cool uh, spectacle-oriented scenes that you can go into that movie and be like, I don't really care so much about the the deeper thematic elements or the storytelling or necessarily trying to learn something about the world that I live in from the movie. You can just enjoy it for what it is. But for those people who want to go in there and really take something out of it and apply the themes that it kind of like speaks to to their own lives, then yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of depth in there. And I think that you brought up a good point, which is that like – I I think any good theme is malleable and that you can find many ways that it reflects on our own societies and our personally in our own lives. And there is this idea out there that, you know, those people on the cutting edge of technology and the futurist uh, mentality think about, which is that the next step of human evolution isn't biological, but in fact, technological, and when you think about it in terms of that, like, we're already wearing Google glasses, we already have our Apple watches and stuff, like, is it that far of a leap to think that the next step is those things won't be on our bodies, but in our bodies? Mm-hmm. And then when, that, when we become more cyborg than we do human, like, at what point does that, at what point, what does our relationship with technology look like then? These are the questions that the Matrix asks in a philosophical form. It's just guised up in this like stylistic action thriller, um, and for that reason, like it's timeless. And I think that that's kind of what makes it so amazing and engrossing.
0: You said you saw this movie when you were fourteen or fifteen.
2: Yeah, I guess like I was I was born in eighty six, so it came out in ninety nine. So go. yeah, I was, like thirteen, I guess.
0: Math checks out. Um, so what did you? as someone who was going to become a, a cinematographer and a and a visual artist, how did bullet time strike you?
2: Oh man, I mean, it was amazing, right? Like, I don't know, I don't know that anyone who saw that movie at that time had any idea what they were really looking at. Mm-hmm. Uh, I certainly, as a kid, didn't really understand how they could do those things. And at the time, I don't think I really was interested in how they did it, uh, because... Like any great film technique, what it does isn't pull the audience out of the movie, but rather – immerse them more into the movie and so when i first saw trinity leap up in the air and do a nice little like ninja kick and you see the camera spin around and a half uh, you know 180 degrees yeah. i wasn't like whoa how'd they do that i was just like this is fucking awesome and right. <laughs> it's one of those iconic techniques that like can't be understated as far as its impact on action filmmaking like it was a technique that you could very easily say and you could probably do this a few times throughout the history of action filmmaking but it's very much like There's action movies before The Matrix and there's action movies after. Like it's very much like a definitive landmark moment and so much of that is like wrapped up in what Bullet Time is and how they used it. And so when you, I I like what you said. Yeah, the goal of course is not
0: to send the whole audience home and like look at a film theory book and be like, how did they do this? But to wrap them up deeper in the world. What effect does that have for you when you watch it and think about, you know, like them manipulating this what's essentially a constructed world and changing time.
2: Yeah, I mean, so that's kind of what makes Bullet Time so brilliant, is like, of course it looks really cool, but you, uh, the, the Wachowskis at that point are they're very smart filmmakers, right? They're not the type of people who are just going to put eye candy on the screen and have it be there for no reason. But it actually serves a story purpose, which is that the characters have a heightened perception of what's going on in the world because they are aware that it's a world that's fabricated exists in a computer and that they're not in it. And so like I love the analogy that Morpheus draws is like you, you're when you know that the rules aren't real that they're, you know, that they're that they're fabricated and you can liberate your mind from the idea that uh the, the world you see around you is not real like mm-hmm. then you're allowed to be able to do incredible things and that's the basis for all of the people who exist outside of the matrix and what and it's freeing his mind that allows Neo to become the one and I think that that's what makes it so cool and that's what I think ultimately resonates to me is like yeah when I was a kid I was like whoa so cool and I still am like that but I think I realize now that why it's so cool and how it fits into the story that really resonates with me. It's constant reminder for me as a filmmaker, not just to make things look flashy because I can. But, you know, if you can give them some weight and some story purpose, mm-hmm. they'll resonate for far longer than the technique will by itself. Because people use bullet time like so much in pop culture after that movie. Sure. And you can't how many of those examples can you really remember? Like it's Nine. because they're not used other than for flash and when you do something like that, like, it lacks substance.
0: The Matrix is sort of strange because it's not... I feel like it has less iconic emphasis on the characters than a lot of our big franchises, but who jumps out at you? Like, what What performance, when you think of it today, uh, still resonates?
2: Man, I mean... For me, the easy one is Morpheus, right? Like I don't know that anyone has ever, we've long had like the mentor sort of wise old sage who's himself very skilled. We have that archetype in movies, right? Like Ben Kenobi, we have so many of them, right? Absolutely. But for me, Morpheus b- stands out more because of like how far, like he's he's not just a wise old sage, like in the world, in the context of the matrix, he's kind of like a prophet. Mm-hmm. like he leads this almost more radical set of believers of the one. And uh, for that, he commands like this great respect. Like he's almost like in the context of the matrix, he's kind of a religious figure. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really cool because great sci-fi, and I've said this multiple times, but like great sci-fi doesn't like sweep religion aside or treated as condescending but actually they're kind of like twisted mirror images of one another like they both seek to answer the same questions and i think the matrix does a great job of melding the two ideologies together which is that like it is a science fiction movie but the way the characters operate the faith that they have in the idea that the one is real and even the faith that like that neo doesn't have until the very end of the movie uh represents kind of like what I imagine a religious person's faith in God would be like. And so for me, that performance stands out because I think he does such a great job of straddling that line between being someone who is, he kind of, he, he wants to embrace the one, but is so wise and so um, all knowing in a way that like Morp- uh, Neo himself doesn't quite believe in Morpheus or he doesn't quite know what to think of this whole situation. And he's kind of like out of his element the whole time. But I mean, all of the performances really do stand out to me. Even Neo, like people hate on uh, Keanu Reeves, not just for The Matrix, but for kind of all time, Mm -hmm. which I think he gets a bad rap. Like, I think he's a good guy and I think he's a pretty good actor in the right film. But to do what he did to transform Neo into, uh, you know, a pop culture icon when I think there's someone pointed this out, but none of his lines are longer than like 11 words. Sure, (laughs) probably not. But you're still very involved with what he's going through. You're, he very much is the lens that the audience experiences the film through. And I think to be able to do that, like that's not an easy task. So even his performance stands out to me. And of course, I mean, God, Agent Smith and Trinity. Like, yeah. I think if you want to talk technically just what is the best performance, you have to talk about Agent Smith. Like His long monologues. There's not an actor in Hollywood who can talk for three minutes and people don't tune out. But he can. You want to listen to him every word you're hanging on. That monologue about how he's trapped in this world when he has Morpheus captive in the tower, like Oh, the smell, yeah. Yeah, it's so it's the smell. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's so good.
0: Let me bounce this one off of you, because I was thinking of this I was thinking of this as I was rewatching this movie. I mean, eighteen years on, the Matrix just seems like a given, right? In our in our lives, in our perception of movies. It's just like it's one of the best action movies. It was you know, one of the highest grossing rated R movie until its sequel came along. Uh, it broke the bank at the box office. Critics loved it. It's this amazing amalgam of philosophy and action. And yet, like, when you step back and, and watch it, there is an element of, like, this movie is really weird. Like, how did this happen? <laughs> how did this, like, very strange, green-tinted, weird cast, weird script, like, this is just, how did this become a part of us so easily. Do you ever sort of have that feeling about like,
2: this is an oddball movie in a way? I mean, certainly in today's culture, right? Like, uh, we've kind of, there's always, it's a, you know, it's a cyclical process, like what gets made, what's popular uh, in Hollywood, and you kind of always end up coming back to things. And we're at a point in that, in our culture now, we're kind of like everything old is new again, right? Like 90s nostalgia is a thing. And there was even a few weeks ago, maybe it was a little longer than that, uh, an article in the trade saying that like WB definitely wants to reboot the Matrix, which I am very much against. Mm. Um, but just like it's, yeah, it's not the type of movie that you'd see made now, and it's certainly not the type of movie you would have seen made then. Although I would have said maybe in the 90s, people were a little bit more open to, um, like risk taking films, which this movie does so many. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're right, it is a little weird and it's definitely high concept. And I I actually have to applaud Hollywood for taking the risk on that because like, especially now where Hollywood is so risk averse, like you're not really getting a lot of movies that come out of nowhere and floor an audience, right? Like everyone kind of has a sense for what's coming down the pipeline, right? Like both DC and Marvel have movies slated to 2025 <laughs> Like, if you've seen any of the Marvel movies, you generally have a good idea of what to expect. Nothing really comes out of nowhere like The Matrix did. And in many ways, like, that has to be applauded. Especially from a filmmaker's perspective like me, like, no one wants to just be part of the machine. They want to come in and break down the machine Mm -hmm. or, like, establish a new part of it. And I think that that's very much what The Matrix did. And because it's so weird and because it's, like, you know, I can't imagine... As a producer, like, you know, I might have even if I if someone sat the script down on my ta- on my desk and was like, this is something I want to make and I read it, I still might be like, what is this? You know, like, it's just such a difficult movie to imagine without the visuals. But, you know, credit to the Wachowskis for being the geniuses that they are and being like, no, the, this this is something that is not just going to work, but it's going to be amazing. And they were totally right.
0: Let's wrap up there, Sean. Where can people find you if you wish to be found? Anything to plug? Anything you're working on you want people to check out?
2: Absolutely, yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter at ShotByFinnegan. My site is ShotByFinnegan.com. I am a cinematographer, a director, and a producer for IGN. So I'm always making content and putting it up on the internet. But that's the best way to find out where it is, is ShotByFinnegan on Twitter and on Instagram. I just wrapped up season one of the IGN show, which is a Disney TV show. Uh, you can find that on Disney XP weeknights at 9 p.m. Or you can find it after the fact on IGN.com or on our YouTube page IGN or YouTube.com slash IGN. My work is everywhere, so come talk to me about movies. Just I'm down to do it always.
0: Great. Well, thanks for your time, man.
2: Thanks so much for having me. I always enjoy talking movies. I, this was just a pleasure. What you know
0: you
1: can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. That there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. Like a splinter in your mind. Driving you mad.
0: All right. Well, thanks to Sean. Sean really likes this movie. And I think that I do as well. Especially when I don't think about the other two. (laughs) But Noah, what else should we get out before we rate this puppy?
1: Oof. Oof. Yeah, it's. I think that's the thing. If I can compartmentalize in my mind and shut out the next preceding five hours I had to spend with The Matrix... Yeah. Um. I think that this movie does like sort of hold up in a, wow, a lot of people borrowed from this movie kind of way. Yeah. Like, this movie... I mean, Atomic Blonde would not exist without this movie. John Wick would not exist without this movie. And the whole, like... Genre of the
0: visual look of Kingsmen, like so many oh, things. Oh yeah,
1: so many things where like the camera began to like move about, and the fighter himself became the stationary thing.
0: Remember when we talked about the color palette and uh, visual style of late '90s action movies like Behind Enemy Lines and Gone in Sixty Seconds? Those yeah. are also Matrix like riffs.
1: Oh yeah, the pa- just the the temperature of the the screen. Yeah, yeah. But and I have to say that. That scene where they're like shooting up the lobby of that building with like the concrete going everywhere and the people flipping around and like the speeds going different. Oh, the whole thing's sort of in slow motion, but it's like, right, unbelievable. That's an unbelievable sequence.
0: And I would just want to reiterate I think the thing that makes it so great is the rules. You're dropped into this universe, it's both familiar but strange. You're wondering what's going on, and the movie. Raises questions answers questions raises questions answers questions like this is this is what the agents can do This is why we're scared. This is how you plug in This is how you learn and it builds and builds and builds and by the end of the movie It breaks the rules. It's taught you and that's amazing to you You really understand what it means to be the one in a way that makes no sense in the successors
1: what I was trying to get at inarticulately earlier was the idea that this movie is such a door-opening thing where you're almost you're almost the people, right? You're the people in the real robot-controlled world, you and I. And yeah. we are, by going to see a movie, entering the supposed matrix. Mm-hmm. And this movie, I think, does a lot to tell the people who make movies that, like, anything can happen on this screen if you use a computer. That's and true. And
0: that's,
1: I mean, that's a huge unintended but like interesting microcosm for like what this movie is
0: at the same time as the physicality is just better in the first one yeah they depend more on the actor's physicality and on oh yeah
1: yeah. and there's and they they toe the line well between self-serious and like totally ridiculous yeah it's true you know it doesn't ask you to believe that he's gonna like kick 50 smiths in the head simultaneously (laughs)
0: right yeah
1: while the camera's above him
0: absolutely so before we render a verdict let's explain how we rate movies on this podcast shall we
1: all movies and most of life can be described with our rating system the four categories are good good bad bad good bad and bad good The first, good or bad, refers to intellectual quality. The second is pure pleasure.
0: Good, good is easy. Things that make you feel smart and happy, and that for both reasons you'd want to do again, like watching The Departed or Jaws or calling your pal to do a podcast with him. Good, good movies
1: make Noah say... Love that. Bad, bad is easy, too. Things that bring you neither stimulation nor joy. Basically, you just wasted your time. Things like watching White Chicks or Wild Wild Wests, a conceptual double album of Christian pop punk. Bad, bad movies make Chance say things like, I hated that.
0: Good Bad, then, is something you recognize as worthwhile, but not something you enjoy. Schindler's List, Requiem for a Dream, most classical music, eating your goddamn vegetables. Good Bad is about being an adult,
1: and these kinds of movies make Noah say, I mean, I'm glad I saw it once, but never again. Conversely, Bad Good is for your thoughtless inner child. It's Cheetos, it's late career Billy Joel, it's movies like Christmas Vacation, Honey, Kids, and Deep Blue Sea. Bad Good movies make Chance say, But
0: it failed in such an entertaining way. Got all that? Now buckle up, because you're about to hear an opinion stated as fact. I think The Matrix is still a a very solid good good for me. I think there are things where it is silly, and you wonder, like, some of the banter is very bad. And you kind of wonder, like, why would people in Zion know what Superman is? Or, like, know these, like, kind of dumb 90s action movie expressions. Right. But I just think, like, you can you can get so deep into this movie. And you can enjoy it on a deep level. You can enjoy it on a shallow level. It doesn't ask these actors with limited range to do more than they can. I think The Matrix is good, good.
1: It's good good now uh, for me But I feel like in about 20 minutes I'm probably going to like want to change to good bad But I'll give it a soft good good for now Good bad
0: not watchable Just because it reminds me of these other I mean I think it's an important things.
1: film Yeah But I don't know that like Once you poke holes at it Because of watching two and three It becomes kind of stupid But let's get there So Okay They've like finished their whatever journey they were on. They've like refueled back in Zion,
0: which is the only like s- like refuge for people who have escaped their pods in the real right. in the desert of the
1: real. When I um, knew that we were in trouble with this movie, just a few moments in at the beginning, there's like, a pretty over the top cold open action sequence where like Neo has this horrible dream that like Carrie Anne Moss Trinity yeah. gets like cheesed as she's trying to do something right. And he wakes up in a cold sweat and we're in Zion and we're immediately introduced to like a world that is like, has mixed reactions to the Neo prophet thing. You know, this is whether they've decided if they're on board with this guy and to make the case for like, Neo's great. He's going to save the day. They've like casted this like total weirdo, like (laughs) child's man (laughs) who like, Follows Neo around like a Jar Jar Banks, mm-hmm. and it's just like Misa, so happy you're my friend, <laughs> Neo. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's unbelievably annoying, and yeah. it's clearly like one of those things that you add to a movie to like give it heft, and like because right. and you can tell like it sort of immediately breaks down for me. Like, oh God, like this is gonna be a you know a battle movie but like trying to be Empire Strikes Back. All of our lives, we have fought this war. Tonight, I believe we can end it.
0: That's a nice trick. Upgrades.
2: Mr. Anderson. Surprised
1: to see me? So now he's found a way to copy himself. Now there's more than one of them.
2: A lot more.
0: It's immediately worse. And the other thing is, I'll come back to this point yet again. You don't know the rules. In the other ones, you knew how powerful Neo was. You understood like just when he came over the tipping point where he was more powerful than the agents. They seemed dangerous. In this one, immediately, he is flying around like Superman. They say as much. And then Agent Smith returns and is just replicating himself all over the place. And within a half an hour, Neo is fighting Several dozen Agent Smiths and you're just like The violence doesn't mean the same thing to you The stakes don't mean the same thing to you And it just becomes an Unintelligible visual exercise
1: Which is still
0: Beautiful at times
1: Right but excessive Yes It's excessively beautiful excessively over the top And excessively bloated with storylines That aren't very good
0: And you just begin to feel that None of this is important I'll be honest, I have not had this hard of a time watching movies for our podcast since... I can't remember when. Maybe The Hours? But, like, I just struggled and struggled to get through these movies. Reloaded and Revolutions were made at the same time, and then were released six months apart in 2003. So watching these is not like watching, say, Alien 1, 2, and 3, where directors change and ideas change. It's like watching one good movie and then one 5 hour bad movie. <laughs> right. That occurs like back to
1: back, right? Yeah, sort of but with a 6 month intermission.
0: The movie can't explain the the conflict either. I mean, part of the experience of watching Reloaded and Revolutions is that it just wades into endlessly circular conversations. Yes. Anyone who is talking, they'll be like, "Why did this happen?" and the other person will just say, "It's not the why, it's that it already happened." And it's just that happens a dozen times in
1: these movies. Right. I mean, it poses, like, a really interesting question of, like, if you, if we, once we hit the, what do you call it? The singularity. The singularity, when robots and humans become one, um, and everything just becomes one. If we've hit that, which is essentially what the movie's arguing, that humans have, like, gotten cell phones and VRs and whatever so complex that they just, like, live in a virtual reality world now, and that's how they live their lives, then why would there be people who didn't want to live that way. If that was the end of like human mental evolution. 20th century, uh, like why make junkies? that look like a prison? Cause yeah. that's the interesting thing about, I guess the turn of the movie and the inherent flaw of the movie is that, and the, this is the inherent flaw of the premise is that it posits that the robots are evil And I think you're presented with a much more interesting movie if the, and I think that's where the movie has to land is that the robots aren't evil. They're just humane. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And they're just like trying to do what's best for the ecosystem. And the real problem is this virus agent Smith. Yeah. Cause like Neo can eventually reason with the system, which is totally ridiculous (laughs) in the context of this movie, not in the context of like what technology is headed towards. Yeah. But I just don't, I don't, I don't get the, the philosophy behind it in the way that the movie expects me to.
0: And there's nothing fun whatsoever about the machines. No. In, ta- in talking to them, in seeing them, like, you know the most, like, uh, you know, the part that makes your eyes droop in the original Matrix is the squid machines. And you're, like, that's, like, five minutes. You're like, oh, I don't really yeah. care about it. I don't care about the magnetic pulse. I don't care about watching the squid machines. Well, then the other Were two Were the movies- squid
1: machines in the first one? Did anything, like, chase them in their ship? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But just for a few minutes...
1: Yeah, and it was like it was better.
0: It was a little better, but it was also for me the weakest part of the movie. I was like, "Well, I would rather see him fight Agent Smith than watch Squid Machines infiltrate uh, physical space." And then these next two movies are like, "What you want is a couple more hours of Squid People Machines." Thought that
1: everyone just like went nuts for like the Squid Machines, and that oh. just like inherently, the third one has so many fucking Squid Machines. In it, it
0: doesn't look good. It's like it's the it's a worse version of the feeling you get when like the bug villains and the
1: Avengers
0: fly over New York. It's even like wor- the it's worse than that. I don't that. like
1: the bug kind. Yeah, I don't I mean, like villains of the bug persuasion. Anytime
0: you get indistinct two-dimensional armies of loud flying things, it's just like, a better choice could have been made. Right. Can I please just read you my fun list of people I wish were in these movies that I think would fit in with the cast? Sure. I was so bored at the end, or at the beginning of Revolutions I made this list. People that I think would Go in this cast now if it were cast today Because Cornel West is in these movies Roy Jones Jr. is in these movies
1: You know, it's weird It's um, amazing that like Dennis Rodman's not in this movie
0: He is on my list, Noah <laughs> <laughs> People I think would be good uh, Sinead O'Connor Neil deGrasse Tyson <laughs> James Carville <laughs> uh, Yusuf Islam Littlefinger Bobby McFerrin I think is probably the best I've got <laughs> Oh, that's good So the Matrix Reloaded, I'll get to my rating. It has, the semi-truck set piece is good. It is a more watchable.
1: The highway sequence is pretty unbelievable and pretty iconic.
0: It's certainly more watchable than Revolutions, but like, it's a
1: bad bad. Yeah, this is a foul film. Um, It's hard to watch it's not easy to watch. It's not a good movie. It's not, like, hard to watch because it's so, like, poignant. Yeah. It's hard to watch because it's not well-made. And, like, when you do finally and mercifully get to the the highway sequence, it's, like, finally. But these movies need to be, like, nonstop action movies. Yeah. Like, they can't... It can't be... Like, it doesn't have to be action. I just... Don't put me... don't, Don't do, like, a community... Dance sequence, like you know, <laughs> cut up with like Neo and Trinity having like weird sex, right? Like city beats. I don't like. I didn't like that at all. So
0: if it's bad and it's nearly identical to Revolutions, let's not spend too much time on Revolutions. But yeah, same year picks up right where Reloaded left off, and it which goes- is this
1: weird cliffhanger with the one guy like stabbing some other guy yeah and killing his crew and then he gets picked up on some other ship and it's like oh he's on the ship what are we gonna do but it's like solos in the cryogen freeze like we better see the third one
0: it's a dun 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 about someone that i don't think most people would recognize
1: yeah that was the thing i think you had texted me you were like wait who's this guy yeah and the movie is just like sure that you know who it is yeah it's bane
0: and then it means the world to you yeah um So, Revolutions is even more, it's truly like the, most of it is the battle for Zion, and then Neo going to the machine city to argue on behalf of, like, sparing Zion, while Smith duplicates himself even more and makes clear his intention to uh, become the supreme being of the Matrix, the real world, and, and the weird middle world where Neo gets trapped the program smith has grown beyond your control you cannot stop him but i can and
1: if you fail i won't do you know what happened to Neo?
0: he is trapped in a place between this world and the machine world
1: bring me the eyes of the Oracle, then i will give you back your savior Mr. Anderson. Who are you? Look past the
2: flesh and see your enemy. It's impossible. Not
1: impossible. Inevitable. (laughs) Because then it, like, sets up this whole thing where, like, computer programs, like, they don't want to get deleted, so they, like, go rogue. It's like, what? And then they are people, and the Oracle's a person, but she's also a Like, no, no. I liked the simple, like, You know, the robots are trapping you. Don't give us all this, like, philosophy about, like, what the programs don't want. The train man? The key maker? Like, give me a break. The movie is... The, 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 what's the other one? That one, uh, it's the, something, something Vingian.
0: Oh, yeah. Who's just, like, the...
1: Who has his tie on backwards, and it's, like, cool.
0: Yeah. The job of the hut of this universe. Right, yeah. But he's like
1: a charming, thin Frenchman who's married to Monica Bellucci Who's also a computer program, and desperately wants to betray him Because, you know, he's a slimy program Right,
0: he's making other, fa- other programs very aroused with cake
1: that's Wait, I thought that was a person doing. at the restaurant
0: How is he able to look inside her code?
1: Oh yeah, he does look inside her code He tickles her code with his... <laughs> With Easy his tickle now. cake,
0: <laughs> um, but these movies just become by by three, you can't help but notice just how how brutally undynamic they've become as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the Don Davis score, which kind of reminds you of it. It reminds me of the uh, the Burton Batman score. It's kind of got yeah. that like dun 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 build, but like you can't go dun dun dun. You can't do that 50 times in a movie.
1: Right, especially when there's like an emotional thing that we're not seeing otherwise.
0: 50 important things are not happening. No. And so that becomes really bad. I mean, and just the performances, after you're introduced to the Oracle, you can't have... You talked about the restraint that kind of plagues everyone you can't have six more characters who are just like the Colonel Sanders version of the Oracle and the new version of the Oracle.
1: Yeah, why and- do they... What happened? Is there some... Uh, there's probably in the IMDb trivia somewhere. Why they like... Because it a, was a different black woman in the first one as the the last two. It's true. And it like knows that. It like makes some reference of like, what do you think I'd look like? Kind of thing. You don't recognize me. It's like... Right what's your program? Like you only take the form of like a different black woman. Right. It's a a older black character. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so like, I, there's just things where when he meets the architect, like I dare you to pay attention to that scene and tell me what was said because it's just brutally monotonous.
1: Well, you get to like the, you pull back the thing to see the wizard in that scene Like, this is the center, like, the person who's designed this thing, and it's, like, also a person, but it's also, like, another old – it's, like, the thing with Darth Vader. Like, you take off – from Chasing Amy, where it's, like, you take off the mask of this, like, powerful black figure, and underneath it's, like, a crusty white man. (laughs) And it's the same thing here. It's, like, underneath all this, like, innovation and technology and stuff, and, like, design is, like, a crusty old white guy. Yeah. You know, the third Coke brother or whatever.
0: <laughs> and yeah, the only one having any fun is Hugo Weaving as he becomes like more exaggeratedly human, and his dialogue is awful, but he does get to try to deliver lines with verve and glee such as the best part of me is
1: that there's more of
0: me. <laughs> it's just like that that's not like an idiom that doesn't make right. any sense st-
1: yeah. And in the final fight sequence You have like a No this isn't what it's supposed To be like thing and it's like Cause you can Cause Hugo You're, even can't hit that note right. While doing like the subdued I'm a computer program yeah. thing that like No one else is pulling off oh,
0: What else to say about Revolutions I mean we can almost just talk About them together cause it's the same one long Movie yeah.
1: and they're both clearly bad Bad Well, the the most amazing part about this one, I think, is that it, like, has its climactic battle sequence, and then there's still 45 minutes more. (laughs) Yeah. Like, the robots attack the the Zion, the people's city. Right. And then the battle's over. And then they're like, no, it's not. It's going again. Yep. We're doing more battle. It's got to be in the Matrix, I suppose. But who cares at that point? Revolutions
0: is worse because it's more squid fighting.
1: But that's, what do you think of the sequence at uh, at the end in the rain with all the Smiths in the windows? It's like, it must have taken a lot of effort to do that scene, but I don't know that, like, it makes any difference.
0: Yeah, because it feels like the introduction of Smith is sort of like something, it's sort of subversive to, like, have it be this, like, emotionless like dapper looking white man and like to have somebody who's like steampunk kind of war with him and be the opposite of him but then to have it work around to like the most played out of epical yin and yang voldemort and harry potter uh david yates hardcore rips off that scene by the way of them like going into the sky and then falling together and yelling together and smacking it at the ground um it's just really really boring and you absolutely know it was going to happen and it's the yeah it just feels like some a, a story that gave up its subversive elements to finish out with the most epic thing it could think of maybe a little bit of what's happening in game of thrones now
1: oh you're not on board with GOT?
0: no i, I like game of thrones fine but doesn't it feel like uh a show that was constantly surprising is now just headed toward its most obvious points the great, showdown, the great showdowns of light and dark—that's what the, that's what this does.
1: I like the the dead dragon though. Sure, but I didn't like it's another element. Coming.
0: It's another, it, but it's simply a Due element of light and dark matchmaking.
1: Well, I mean, it's on the narrative level. You have like ta- a protagonist versus antagonist, and you need to have something to. You need to have something to to root for.
0: But the best part of Game of Thrones was how people slid between those.
1: Yeah, well, they gotta end it now. And right. the winter is all—the winter was always coming.
0: Sure, and you know the the tidal wave of uh, a thousand smiths and Neo was always coming, but it's not as fun to watch as it was in the beginning.
1: Let's never do these movies again.
0: No, but they're all on Netflix. If for some reason you want to watch them or argue with us, if you think we're dead wrong about Reloaded and Revolutions, then you you're know- wrong. <laughs> You can well, <laughs> you can know pretty certainly that you're not correct. But I at least will hear you out, you know, if you want to hit us up at uh, berealguys at gmail.com or at bereal on Twitter, or you can find bereal on Facebook. I will humor your argument, because it's bound to be more interesting than some of these Oracle Architect conversations. Yeah. Um,
1: I'd encourage everyone to direct their communiques directly at chance. Because <laughs> uh, Noah will not suffer your foolishness. I cannot abide... Anyone making the, I we already said it, the first one's good, good, and then they cashed in, made two more, and they're not very good.
0: It's just, it's just still amazing to me that the first one is good. That's the surprising thing in retrospect, is not like, oh, iconic genius, and then all the things that normally go wrong went wrong. It's just like, two people had a vision that was ultimately f- flawed and when they got the resources to do what they wanted to do it was deeply flawed but it was like the fact that they had to start telling the story that was good
1: but yeah but that's the thing and that's why I feel like I think the whole series is sort of good bad for the reason that like it's so fundamentally like game changing in terms of action movies and there is a good movie in here but if you look at the whole thing as a trilogy which we are doing this week it's it's a really good first chapter of like a whole stupid novel
0: man well buddy pal i'm glad you stopped trying to give me your opinion and just gave it to me
1: i would never just try
0: that's the that's the line i st- i still think about that all the time stop trying to hit me and hit me like if i'm struggling with an email it's just like stop trying to send it and send it that's a good one that's a good one yeah um anyway this is fun. Thanks to Sean Finnegan from IGN. Uh you can check out uh his work at IGN. But we appreciate his time. Thank you, buddy, for this idea. Sort of Me? it
1: was a lot of yeah. suffering to get through. <laughs> I mean, such is the war against the robots, my friend.
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad we're on the same side at least.
1: Did you at least did this series and this watch give you like a fifteen second moment where you really thought about like, but am I in a robot world? <laughs>
0: Uh, the movies would probably be better If it was a robot world
1: Well that's what I was thinking Like what would be more logical Like and if I was going to make the Matrix Like what would I make And I would make them more humane the robots Yeah I would make them like looking out for The humans And the reason they're trying to like kill the other humans Is because they don't feel like those humans are like Doing what's right for the human race on the whole These ones are a little bit more Malicious
0: A Dawn of the Planet of the Apes Kind of configuration of robots and humans Would have been super interesting
1: Yeah 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 I think this movie like wants to Be Star Wars But should be Planet of the Apes
0: Let's leave it there It took us a long time But that's probably the best point we've got Buddy I'll talk to you later
1: It's been a pleasure Chance Take care